0: be seated. I want to make one clarification as Edward comes. The group in the back was praying for Jessica, my wife's uncle. It is not my wife's uncle. It was Jessica Wade's uncle. I do know all of Jessica's uncles, and I know all of their names. My Jessica. I don't know Jessica Wade. It's this group also had a... I want to clarify that. Edward, come preach for us. Well, we've reached our third message in the series on the normal Christian life. Uh, The first two really set uh, the context for what is to follow. Um, What we're going to get into now for the next uh, eight or nine messages is the doctrine, the elements that make up the normal Christian life. Tonight we talk about the blood of Christ. Um, And let's start by reading Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 26, a wonderful passage that lays out the subject very well. Romans chapter 3 from verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. The word sepulcher simply means a tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God. Before their eyes. That's a pretty strong condemnation of the human race. It happens to be true. Now we know, verse 19, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a covering through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance or the patience of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That sets out the entire argument for a study on the blood of Christ and its meaning to us. As we, we begin our journey through the next few weeks and look at each of these doctrines in turn, uh, we should probably rehearse a few truths that should be known to all Christians but are properly understood by only a few. Now, I realize I'm talking to mature Christians in this room tonight, uh, and you are, for the most part, those of you I know, are very familiar with this, but it's always good to rehearse uh, these truths again and again. So in the third chapter of his letter to Romans, the chapter we've just read, the portion we've just read, from verses 10 through 20, the apostle Paul powerfully outlines the lamentable condition of fallen humanity as exposed by God's law. He also introduces the argument that fixing the sin problem cannot be achieved by by trying to obey the law because sinners are hopeless slaves to their sinfulness. And the law's function is to make us aware of our depravity. The harder we try to obey the law, the more we fail. Elsewhere, the law, in Galatians 3.24, the law is described as a schoolmaster whose purpose is to bring us To Christ. Uh, If we sincerely try to keep the law and we give up in despair and we look for an answer, that's when we recognize Jesus Christ and the answer he brings. And on that note, let's pause for a moment and pray and then proceed with the rest of the message. Father, I do thank you so much, as always, for the opportunity to break the bread of life. Please bless the hearers here this evening. Bless the speaker And in everything we do and say, may the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, be glorified, in whose name we pray. Amen. God's answer for every human descendant of Adam, and that's all of us, who stand guilty before him is redemption through Jesus Christ, as explained in verses 21 through 26. Christ is the mercy seat accessible through faith in the power of his sacrificial blood, a remedy available without any cost to sinners, hallelujah, because of the gracious favor of God. We're first introduced to that blood way back in the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus, uh, the first Passover. But as we read the Old Testament account of Israel in the wilderness, we see a nation of former slaves li- miraculously liberated from Egypt, uh, wasting the next 40 years, wallowing in discontent, discouragement, and defeat as they stumbled towards their promised land. All along the way, while being led by the presence of God in the form of a cloud by, uh, by uh, day, a pillar of fire of night, uh, accompanied by a place of worship, that portable uh, tabernacle where God dwelt in their midst, They chose to insult God by whining and complaining at every obstacle. I know none of us have ever done that, but they did that back then. When their divinely appointed leader was absent for a brief period, they turned to idol worship and debauchery, looking back to Egypt and longing for the familiar but dubious comforts of inadequate food and shelter in exchange for cruel taskmasters And brutal slavery. And you know that's a choice that most people in the world make uh, of their own free will. Their collective name, this is the collective name of those in the Old Testament. The children of Israel seemed appropriate because they behaved like spoiled little children. Ungrateful little children. Unworthy of the gracious care they received from their loving Heavenly Father. They were encouraged in their discontent by the presence of a mixed multitude. Who came out of Egypt with them, Egyptians, who tagged along with them, uh, but were outside the covenant relationship with God. And many saved Christians today are similarly hindered in their walk with God because they spiritually shadow and easily influenced by unsaved, pretend Christians, a mixed multitude. who don't understand what it means to live a normal Christian life. The small minority desiring to live as disciples of Christ begin to wonder if they are on the right path because everybody else believes something different and is doing something different. And as a counter to discouragement, we must be reminded by God's word about what we have in Christ Jesus and find reassurance in the fact That we may be out of step with the world, but we are not out of step with God. So let's look at some of the facts of life of the world we live in. Religion sets man on a quest to find God. In contrast to such useless searching and striving, Jesus Christ may be experienced as God who came to us. This amazing truth means that we may live in joyful harmony with God through Christ, in constant fellowship with him and with other Christians who share our faith. This normal Christian life begins with salvation that includes acceptance of two incredible facts. No bad thing we have ever done or ever will do counts against us in God's eyes when we stand at the judgment seat when we consider entry to heaven, our sins, by the grace of God, are paid for. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter five, verses eight to eleven. So uh, beautiful verses that speak to this. But God, Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth means he demonstrates. God demonstrated how much he loves us because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. He's made us one with God through his sacrifice. That's the first pillar, the first incredible fact that is a pillar of the normal Christian life. And secondly, when we surrender to Christ and receive forgiveness and cleansing for our sins, we are sustained now and forever By the riches of a glorious mystery, Jesus Christ lives in me and in you. And that is a fact that is measurable. The Bible emphatically states again and again in Romans, Galatians, and 1 John, his spirit witnesses with my spirit that I'm his child. I don't need any assurance from anybody else except this word and the indwelling Holy Spirit, I'm on my way to heaven, a wretched sinner like me. There was a day in my life when I encountered the Savior, bowed to the Savior, and begged him for salvation. And from that day to this, the presence of God has been a part of my life. What a mystery. What a wonder. Turn to John chapter 17 where Jesus speaks to this. I often uh, mention that the glorious part of Scripture from John 13 uh, through 17 is worth reading again and again, as are so many other parts of the Bible. Uh, But let's look at 17, verses 20 to 23. This is Jesus speaking, praying to the Father, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples in front of him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that's you and me, that they all may be one. Listen to this. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That unity between God the Creator and Jesus Christ his Son That perfect unity, Jesus prays that we experience the same unity with the Father, with the Son, and, dare I say, with each other. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How's the world going to believe that Jesus Christ is alive? By seeing his life in you and me. Uh, Not by building fancy churches. Not by... uh, uh, trying to establish religion, uh, religious practices, but by people, human beings, frail human sinners, redeemed by Jesus Christ, who carry his life in them, that's where people will encounter the living God. Every one of us in this room are saved, those of us who are saved, because somebody someday told us about Jesus, and we received him as Savior. And the glory which thou gavest me. Look at that next verse. Verse 22. I have given them. That they may be one. Even as we are one. I in them and thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And hast loved them. As thou hast loved me. Hallelujah. We truly are a blessed people. Normal for a Christian. Is that. Or should be. Normal for a Christian is summarized in the words of the Apostle Paul. And I referred several times to this verse, Galatians 2.20, in my message on Sunday evening. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Uh, That phrase actually means by the faithfulness of the Son of God. I live because Jesus Christ was faithful, who loved me and gave himself for me. He was faithful to do that, to save me, to die for me. What an incredible thought, a matchless thought, a glorious thought. There shouldn't be such a thing as a glum, despondent, defeated Christian walking this earth. If that truth would just grip your heart. That the one of whom it is said, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. That one has placed his life in my heart. And I'm part of his family. So against that that background, let's look now at the blood of the cross. Such a wonderful life is made possible in the first place by the blood of Christ. God has only one answer to every human need, every human need, his son, who suffered and died for us on Calvary. By his sacrifice on our behalf, Jesus Christ does for us what no religion could ever do. Salvation in Christ means complete forgiveness for what we have done and deliverance from why we did it. Only the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin now and forever, and only the cross delivers us from the born sinners we are. And we're going to look at that in detail in the next lesson. Understanding the message of the blood and the cross is essential to an appreciation of what it means to be a Christian. Yet, unbelievers, scorners, scoffers often reject Christianity as a bloody religion. You're so obsessed with the blood of Christ. What's wrong with you people? Do you know that God's not sympathetic with their objections? If you want proof of that, turn with me to John chapter 6, an extraordinary passage in John chapter 6. What we find here is Jesus disputing uh, with a bunch of uh, Jewish scholars, and uh, we'll pick up the story in verse 51. Verse 51. He tells them, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I want you to see as we read further here, Jesus, each time they question what he's talking about, does not stop to explain himself. Wait, I know you're upset. at the thought of cannibalism. Let me explain what I mean. He doesn't do that. He literally piles on. Oh, that upset you. Well, let me tell you the next thing you've got to do. You've got to drink my blood. And if that upsets you, how about you're going to see me rise to heaven to sit on the throne in heaven? And each time, uh, it just sparks all the neurons in their brains until... They have a brain freeze. They cannot accept what Jesus is telling them, and indeed, neither can lots, a lot of the world. So he says, that, uh, verse 52, the Jews therefore strove amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Look responds. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is an hard saying, who can hear it? There are two types of responses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one is to turn and walk away and say, that's a bunch of nonsense. The other one is to twist the gospel so it suits you. And make up fallacies about what it means to be a Christian. And the fact that, well, God's not going to punish us for our sins. I mean, he's a loving God. He's not going to send anybody to hell. God is love, after all. Uh, Those are the two responses, and they're both wrong. Um, And people who say, well, that's harsh. Do you understand how harsh it was for God? the pure and holy God, to leave his throne in heaven, be born as a baby on this earth, in a borrowed manger in a stable, live an absolutely miserable life as an outcast in his home village because of what was perceived as his birth, the nature of his birth, and then to die an awful agonizing death at the hands of people who wanted to tear him apart. Do you understand what God did for us? And for us to sit back and criticize him or to feel, as so many do, well, that's kind of a bit revolting. Uh, So, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you which believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it be given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And you say, well, how can anybody be saved who stumbles over this? Well, look across uh, at the next chapter, chapter 7, and you'll find the answer in verse 17. If any man will do his will, if there's anybody who wants to do the will of God, you might not understand what we've just read. You might be repelled from what you've just read, but if your motivation is, I want to understand God, I want to know God, I want to be part of God's life, I want to do his will, if that's your motivation, if any man will do his will, or woman, he shall know of the doctrine. Whether I, it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Nobody who's in hell today can point a finger at God and say, you've been unfair. You know, if we keep Jesus, uh, God out of our lives, all our lives, he doesn't suddenly become our best friend when we die. He'll still be out of our lives. And we'll go forever to a place where he is not. But it's not, nobody there is happy about it because where God isn't is an awful place. John seven seventeen. if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. Negative reaction to the thought of Christ bleeding and dying for us ironically reflects the extreme disgust that God feels at the awfulness of human sin that required such a terrible price to be paid For our redemption, sin requires a penalty to meet the demands of justice. Every sinner is guilty of murdering the pure image of God bestowed on Adam at his creation and must pay for this greatest of all crimes with his own life. It's the law, you know. If you murder somebody, the law says you should die. Well, if you're a sinner, you're going to have to pay for your sin unless someone else pays it for you, is the whole point of the gospel. God, motivated by the great love with which he loves us, punished himself in our place when he took on the form of a man who lived a sinless life and died a horrifying death, literally pouring out his life for us as evidenced by the blood that flowed from his torn and broken body as he hung on the cross. Yes, at the heart of Christianity there is a bloody sacrifice. Consider that every bloodless effort of man, every theory or philosophy or religious system devised by man ends in death. But the death of Jesus ends in life. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. John 5, 24. And in John 14, verse 6, those wonderful words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The blood of Christ deals with my sins, the things that I've done, and my result, resulting guilt and guilty conscience. And the resurrection and life of Christ empowers my new life now and forever. Both aspects of salvation must be fully understood to live a normal, victorious Christian life. Christians are defeated when they do not appreciate the power of the blood to cleanse them, and they do not understand the power of the life of Christ within to sustain them. So let's look very briefly a little closer at the power of the blood. Regarding our sins, God says quite simply, When I see the blood, I will pass over you, as he said to those Israelites a long time ago. The blood is so precious to God because it speaks of his sacrifice to repurchase the human race from their slave owner, Satan. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This amazing sacrifice, amazing because we don't deserve it, means that I can always come to God based on what he did. Never on the basis of what I've done or would like to have done, but always on the basis of his merit alone. Never, for example, on the ground that I've been extra kind or patient today or that I've done something special for the Lord this morning. I must always come by way of the blood every single time. A clear conscience can only be based on the work of Jesus in shedding his blood for me. When I fully understand this, my approach to God is always in boldness. That's why it tells us, come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because I'm not coming in my own right. I'm coming because of his right in saving me. My relationship with God began by the blood. It continues through the blood. I was not saved one way by the blood, but now must maintain my fellowship in a different way by my works. This truth is fully explained in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 23. Our works flow from fellowship. They do not produce fellowship. That's a very important distinction. As one who has been bought by the blood of Christ, I must learn to put no confidence in my flesh, that is, my old nature, which was born in sin as a slave of sin. Until I appreciate how helpless I am to resist sin in my old nature, I will be surprised and mortified when I turn from God and fall immediately into sin because I have some good expectations of my old self. Just to repeat what I said on Sunday night, repentance is not saying I'm sorry and I promise to do better. That's not repentance. Repentance is a broken-hearted cry of a sinner exposed to God's light. Repentance is Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in my sight. But because we think so highly of ourselves, We become a target of Satan who is both a source of our temptation and our accuser when we fail. God is well able to deal with my sins, but he cannot help me when I sin and then believe the devil's accusations instead of trusting in the blood of Christ to cleanse me. His blood speaks always in my favor, but if I choose instead to listen to the adversary, I will remain weak and helpless. The Bible tells me that Jesus Christ is my heavenly advocate. When I'm accused, I should not be so foolish as to side with my accuser, who pleads my case before the. <coughs> when Jesus pleads my case before the throne of grace, uh, turn to First John chapter one. This is the last scripture we'll read in this message, but it's a good one. First John chapter one, from verse five. This then is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Some of the sweetest most beautiful words you'll ever read. Our remedy for defeat and disappointment is always to turn towards God in every circumstance, good or bad, and in every experience, good or bad. Like the Israelites, making their slow and struggling way through the wilderness, we must eat every day of heavenly bread, the word of God, and drink every day from the living fountain of Christ's life within us. But unlike the Israelites in the wilderness, we must also be holy, separated unto God, different from the world in the way we think and behave, not allowing the world to squeeze us into its mold of ungodly values and ungodly behavior. That's a terrible defeat when Christians do that. We do (coughs) the way we We stick close to God is not by focusing on the law, by trying to keep the law of commandments and regulations, but by adhering to a higher law, the law of love written in our hearts by the resurrection life of Christ that now resides in us. You know, you can disobey someone that you fear, but when you love someone with all your heart, it's very hard to disobey that person or to treat them badly. There is an old world, my past life, my heritage, my history, my behavior day by day, and a new world, my life as part of God's family. And between the old world and the new world is a dying Savior, an empty cross, and an empty tomb. It's a dimension unknown to the Old Testament saints who were not yet born again. We will be introduced to that dimension in our next lesson as we focus on the meaning of the cross and the empty tomb. Bless us, Father.